0: Hello, I am Miguel, and welcome to Biopod, the official podcast from the School of Biological Sciences at the University of Edinburgh. On this episode, we will dwell on the science behind synthetic biology, biosensors, and the importance in today's global landscape. First, let's explain what synthetic biology is. Synthetic biology is a science that aims to design and construct biological core components in an engineering manner. By knowing how these biological core components work, one can design genetic circuits similar to those of an electric circuit to generate a desired biological response. Hazel interviewed Dr. Baozhring Wang and Dr. Xinjie Wang from the Synthetic Biological Circuit Engineering Lab here at the University of Edinburgh. This lab specializes in engineering bacteria to act as biosensors that are applied to monitor toxic metal concentrations in the environment. You'll start thinking, how is this possible? Are bacteria really able to sense metals? No way! Well, metals are essential in our everyday lives. All living organisms require traces of metals to survive, grow, and thrive but some of these metals, like arsenic, are very toxic to most living organisms. But, how are bacteria able to sense the good metals from the toxic metals? Well, microorganisms have developed mechanisms to discern essential metals from those that are toxic, and also have the ability to tightly regulate the uptake of such metals in and out of the cell. These mechanisms are important when engineering bacteria, to quantify the concentration of toxic metals in the environment. In this case, this biosensor will be activated in the presence of arsenic and or mercury, and in response, it will synthesize the fluorescent reporter. The higher concentration of the metals found in the water, the brighter the fluorescent emission. What makes this biosensor unique is that it's super sensitive because the response is amplified, and more importantly, it can be quantified using your mobile phone. Now, Stay tuned and listen to Hazel's interview with Dr. Ban Yong-Wang.
1: Hi, dear listeners. Here I'm talking to Bao wang a reader in synthetic biology in the School of Biological Sciences. He will be talking about their recent study of developing an ultra-sensitive biosensor to detect the toxic metals in water. Welcome, Bao Hello, everyone. First of all, what are biosensors?
2: Um biosensors um a kind of sensors that are use biological materials um, in the devices. That's why I call it biosensors. The biological material can be any proteins or enzymes or, or the whole microorganisms that can transduce the outside signal into some um, signals that let on whatever is optical signal or electro and chemical signal that later down can be detected by the output um, devices.
1: Okay. So How is your method different from
2: other biosensors? Uh, Yes, there's a a different difference here. So our biosensors is a cell-based biosensors, which if you use a living cell, here is a bacterial as the sensing um, element here. Now the bacteria can detect uh, these uh, outside uh, um, see environmental s- pr- pollutant signal, like this uh, here is the heavy metals, arsenic and mercury in the environment. And we're using the um, bacterial cells, natural um, signaling systems that can transduce this, uh, um, you know, the outside environmental signals that can trigger these pa- signaling pathways and then tr use them into differential screen signals and in the end to uh, drive our fluorescent proteins um to which is as the output signal here so that key difference we is one we' using living cells as a sensing element yeah and and uh, and, and o- um and also our sensors um here we' using the optical output fluorescent protein yeah. And which also we generate a pattern. It's not like generate an absolute signal. You can measure, and which means the pattern means like a you know a pattern which easily can be visible to your naked eye. So people can easily can tell what kind of concentrations of my of the contaminant levels in your sample, for example, your drinking water. The, yeah. Instead of you to have to use a uh, equipment to exactly quantify the levels. Yeah. So the our output pattern is more easy to interpret and friendly to use. So that's a second key difference, yeah.
1: So uh, we can uh, tell the difference be, uh, between the colors.
2: Alpha sensor generate generate a volume bar like patterns. You mean that we, we have an array that generates different number of bars? Yeah. Means if the if the more bars appear, it means the more high levels of uh, pollutants in your. Sample, yeah, in your know, drinking water, and if less bars, um, it will be less um, potent levels, yeah. So that is just like a volume bar indicated your volume levels, yeah. Right. So so it's can it's easy to to understand interpret it. instead of have to look at exact numbers like one ten or five ppb, yeah. Because right. instead of like uh, you have to to read exact numbers by a uh, uh, specific device, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that's cool. So you <laughs> use the word. Ultra sensitive in your title. So, how sensitive is this method?
2: Yeah. So um, we boost the sensitivity up to 5,000-fold um, uh, increase based on uh, with in the case without using the um, um, our amplification approach. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for example, now the arsenic sensor we detect the lowest one we can detect is 0.1 ppb, and that is 100 times lower than the 10 ppb, the up safety limit for for arsenic in drinking water defined by. World health organization, yeah. Um, and also we can, um, um, and for uh, for another example, mercury, we can detect to 0.01 ppb, yeah. And that is uh, 200 times lower than the 2 ppb up safety limit defined by WHO for mercury in drinking water, yeah. So our sensitivity can be, to some to some extent, can be comparable to the um, standard of sensitive chemistry method, which is based on some lot of spectric, spectroscopy methods, yeah.
1: Okay, now you mentioned about we can... Detect the mercury. We can detect the arsenic uh, contaminants. So, is it possible to integrate more sensors in the device to t- detect other contaminants?
2: So, in, in the method is modular. Means that any kind of transcription-based sensors can be collected to our sensing circuits. Yeah, and then you know we can um, amplify it, and um, and that's why also the the we also discussed in the end of our work that uh, this sensor is uh, can be applied to a range of other cell-based biosensors to detect the different uh, environmental pollutants and health care signals. So uh, most of these can be, uh, it's kind of like a modular pressure can be widely applied in a range of different cell-based biosensors.
1: Mm-hmm. So how hard it is to integrate much more sensors in one cell?
2: Of course, that will increase the metabolic burden to the cell because you press a lot of other um, ex- exo- exogenous elements um, in the cells now. yeah. So in that case you need a careful design, make sure and um, these are not over but in the cells, the cell can well, still can ha- be healthy and growing, can uh, can sensing this output signal. Yeah. So that one is a possibility you can put several sensors in one cell but uh, I think instead of doing that you actually can produce several different sensors that only have one single sensor Yeah. and then you can sense, use them to sensing your target pr- s- sensing signals in parallel uh, instead of to combine them into or into one cell screens.
1: So, how can you see the future of biosensors? Like um, the application of the biosensor for the developing countries? How do you see the future of it?
2: Yeah, um, I can see a lot of potentials for this uh, to generate these portable um, on site cost effective sensors that can be applied to. A lot of uh, um resource limiting countries which usually they don't have access to these uh, uh, centralized uh, laboratory um expensive complex equipments which we you know we treat as routine here in the developed countries yeah um and the f- still like like asking an example now the standard method is using atomic uh, um absorption spectroscopy methods, which is a very complex high-ended equipment, yeah. And also you need well trained uh, skilled people to use that, yeah. Well, and which is unfortunately it's in lack quite often in lack in these developing countries, yeah. Um and, and this leading to a lot of people to drink this contaminated water without testing it because they don't have access to these healthcare facilities, yeah. And what do you think that is this um portable um low cost on-site, uh, you know, which can be used for on-site sensing, um, um, this kind of sensing case, will have a big market and rules to help the local people um, to detecting con- the contamination of daily resources, whatever, uh, water or food or others, yeah, because cost is lower and, uh, and people will more easily to access to that and more willing to use that and really can contribute to improve the well-being pub- uh, quality of public lives. And also in help for the economy in end, and also social health. Yeah.
1: You have connections with Bangladesh oh, yes. about trying to promoting this kind of method, right? Yes. So, uh, tell me about something of it. How do you work in Bangladesh?
2: Oh yes, to to be to in order to 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 see the real situations of the arsenic contamination of drinking water or groundwater in the um in a, in, a, in a, you know in the local area like Bangladesh, yeah. So we see as you know yeah um it's a PhD student in my lab um in that times so, and we so we together we travelled to Bangladesh and to visit the local villages and to see um, how serious the issues. At the same time, we also sample some um, real environmental samples from different hand-pumped wells um, f- and yeah. we sampled it, totally about 22 wells in total, the groundwater from 22 wells, which have various contaminations, yeah. With the help of Dr. Bina from the Kauna University, yeah, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, he helped a lot to, you know, uh, to help us to g- give us access to the local village to... Get the uh, to extract uh, or to sample all the different groundwater samples. Yeah, um, uh, and and, uh, and then we really see the situation. People really um drink the water in the wells without the uh, knowledge of how much contamination they are. Yeah, and uh, I, and they are eager to know, Yeah, but don't uh, have the um. And the sensing approach, the easily a possible sensing approach, to sense that. And the arsenic level can vary from season to season as well. And yeah, even from that. the same location, the two different wells can even have two quite different contamination levels.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And, and we also visit local authorities that help to monitor these arsenic uh, uh, levels in some catchment rivers, yeah. And uh, they told us that uh, they really also need this kind of more portable and uh, cost-effective sensors, yeah. Because, they, because in they're using the, the atomic absorption spectroscopy um uh, to, uh, to use on that one to detect arsenic level, which is quite unfortunately available for many um, um, local villages, yeah. So it's not very convenient. So they have to collect samples from local villages. And also they, they indeed have some, like, uh, also portable kits, but... Um, but that kit also produces highly toxic pollutants using uh, mercury's um, gas to detect these arsenic levels, and also it's, it's relatively costly about one to two dollars yeah, so mm. they are really looking for some more cost effective uh, sensors that can sensing keys that can sense this arsenic in groundwater sample for them. Our sensor um, so really can produce consistent uh, results which, uh, with uh, the same kind of um, accuracy with the standard chemistry based sensors yeah. And uh, from out of twenty-two wells, we tested. Actually, most of them are contaminated, which means that oh. we're, a lot of people really con- drinking contaminated water. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Thank you very much. I think that's
2: it. Now,
0: to get a more in-depth idea of the scientists behind this research, up next is Dr. Sinjin Wan interview.
1: Hi, dear listeners. Here I'm talking to Xin Yi, the first author of the paper we just talked about. To start with, what's the original sensor system?
3: Uh, so original sensor system, it depends on what you mean. You mean the original sensor system you we from a long time ago, or just the one we use? Yes, the one you use. So, uh, so for the biosensors, there are so many kind of biosensors, but uh, there many have the same architecture. And uh, normally, the, what they make a biosensor is they take the sensing module part and then connect it with the reporter part. So that can make a biosensor. Uh, so the, our original sensor is also this kind. So for example, for the arsenic sensor, we have an arsenic sensing module. And you just put uh, a reporter like uh, the green fluorescent GMP in after this sensor module. So it's become an arsenic sensor. So when there is no arsenic, this receptor will bind to its promoter, so to repress this promoter. But when there is arsenic, the receptor will change its conformation, so it won't repress its promoter anymore. And if you have a a reporter connected to this promoter, then the reporter the reporter will be expressed. Right. So that's the uh, basic sensing module I was describing. And uh, to optimize, so the first step is to optimize this, this sensor module. And uh, to optimize it, we need to think about uh, what's this sensor module doing and uh, what's decided the sensitivity for this sensor module. Um, so one rational thinking is there might be some link between the, uh, no, there, there might be something for the uh, between the ligand receptor ratios to the sensitivities. Mm-hmm. So we think about that, and we think, oh, we can change the density of the receptor in the cells. So like that, it can change the sensitivity of this sensor. Right. So the first step is to uh to use different uh, promoters to express these receptors. So you can use a stronger one or weaker one. So that's will ch- change the expression level of this receptor. So, like that, it can change the sensitivity of this sensor. So, we, so in our study, if we use the weaker one, it can improve the sensitivity of this sensor. So, that's the first step to amplify this sensor. And the second step. So, as I, as I said before, the basic sensor have a sensing module and a report module. But actually, you can put something more complicated between them. Okay. So, uh, let's call it a a computing module. (laughs) So, So, in our case, we, we use an amplifier as a computing module. So, instead of the signal comes through the sensing module to the report module, it will go through the amplifier first. Mm-hmm. And then the amplifier, what does the amplifier do is to in, increase, increase the, the signals from this sensing module. So, when it reaches the output module, the signal is much higher. So, you get a much higher output. So, that's the amplifier. So that's the second step to do, uh, to amplify this sensor. And uh, the third step is to cascade a different amplifier scatter. So it's, so you cascade uh, one, two, three amplifier scatter and um, you were expecting that uh, the signals may be amplified sequentially by each amplifier. So in the end, you may have an even higher output signal. Right, Mm. that's cool.
1: Okay, another one is, what is microfluidic system? So, what
3: is the microfluidic device? So, from my understanding, so it's basically a plastic or a glass chip, and inside of chips, it has different channels, and you can put your cells inside of the channels, and also this device can allow you to control the fluid that flows through this channel.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
3: the microfluidic device we use here that is, it has a 768 pixels. So each pixel actually is the chamber and in, in each chamber you can spot one type of sensor in mm-hmm. it. And to connect each chamber it has some channels where you can flow through your fluidics like uh, media or the water samples. Mm-hmm. So from there you can control the growth of the cells and also control uh, uh, to supply the, uh, the, your targets, uh, sensing targets in the media or in the water samples. Right.
1: Mm. Understand. It's kind of the same with we used in DNA sequencing. Now we use the microfluidic system in to separate different DNAs apart. There are, should be a sequence, but normally we use was to amplify a cluster of DNAs. But some of them, like the bio nanotechnology, they use this kind of system to sequence to sequence a single strand mm-hmm. of DNA. Okay, ah, this, this one's a, a kind of tricky. Can you sum up with a simple sentence about the whole process of testing water with your sensor? Like from, um, from uh, sampling the water to us to read the signals.
3: Okay, so you know that we, we have created a sensor array for testing the arsenic. So we can use arsenic as an example. So you take the sample from the uh, like you take some sample from the environment. You just mix it with the media and then you put it in our sensory area and just wait. So yeah, our case is twenty four hours, but actually signal come out in at the earlier stage. So just wait and then you see the patterns. Then you will know the concentrations.
1: I really want to ask you this question. When you first dis- uh talk to someone, like those sm- small chats, will you describe yourself as I am a PhD student or I am PhD researcher or I am doing my PhD?
3: Well, I think the first thing I would say, my name, I'm seeing <laughs> one and, and I'm from the University of Edinburgh and now I would say I'm PhD student. Oh, I, never PhD seen, student. Yeah, I never seen Yeah, I never see myself a PhD researcher.
1: Um, <laughs> me neither, but last time there was a workshop that the, the tutor told us if you this kind of and um, reflect of your inner of your in, inner thoughts about about how you treat a PhD if you are saying you are a PhD student and then it'll be like okay I'm a student and I'm learning. I do not have many uh, expect for, <laughs> like I'm a researcher but I'm just learning. If you are saying you are a researcher, it's like I'm an an independent person. Ah. And I can do things. I can hold, I can hold the, I I can hold everything. If you are saying you are doing a PhD, it's like you are doing a job. PhD is just, just your part-time job. Mm -hmm. And then you, you can balance your life. You have your life. You have your other stuff in your, in your, Personal like personal habits. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? <laughs> okay, the next one. What initially made you
3: choose the synthetic biology, and how did you come up with this project? My supervisor Bojun Wang was looking for a student, so he was just studying his lab in Edinburgh University, um, and I was asking him about uh, what he's doing. So he sent me some papers. And I found one. This paper was programming the uh, the bacteria to sense uh, to sense and kill some pathogenic bacteria, and that study was based on the synthetic biology. And I found the, the story story was really amazing because I never know that you can engineer the the genetics of the the bacteria can make it be functional and they help you to do a lot of different things you never think about before. So that's why I think synthetic biology is really, really amazing. That's why I chose synthetic biology for my PhD. So what did you do before synthetic biology? Well, I, I did the different things. Uh, so I did the biological sciences for my bachelor degree, but my major project was about the zoology. Zoology, oh. um, Yeah, and I will study the antenna of insects. <laughs> uh, so mainly the morphology of the, uh, the sensors on the antenna for the insects. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I moved to Imperial College to do my master. And I chose immunology for my wow. master's degree. And I was mainly working on the macrophages. Ah,
1: macrophages. That's totally different from E. coli, isn't it? Yes, it's really different. Oh, wow. So actually, from your bachelor's degree, it is really similar with the biosensor one, because that's that's the literally biosensor, the uh, Aetna, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yes. That's really cool. Okay, so what's the most enjoyable part of your study and, of course, your PhD?
3: <laughs> well, I think my study and PhD, I can say it's one thing. And uh, I will say that the most enjoyable part is... It's not just a study, it's not just a doing project research in the lab. You actually have a lot of opportunities that are offered by the university or even outside of the university for your for your career development, like um, different conferences and different workshops. You can learn a lot of different things and meet different people and also communicate with others about your research. Mm-hmm. And you find that it very interesting that you can learn so many different things from other people. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you plan to continue your research as a synthetic biologist after your PhD?
3: Well, I I won't call myself a synthetic biologist, because I think synthetic biology is, uh, how to say, it's not just uh, engineering the biological part. So what I'm doing now is mainly biological engineering, genetic engineering. But uh, and another major part for the synthetic biology is uh, using a regional design so regional design myself from the engineering principles and that involve with mathematical modeling so you design something you model it and then you do experiment to test if your model is correct Mm -hmm. or you can use the model to expect the result of your experiment but I haven't really touched that part during my PhD so I would like to be a real synthetic biologist in the future so after my PhD I really would like to learn more about the original design part and and also so apart from that I also have other plans for, <laughs> for my future research. So as I said before, I was studying the zoology and also the immunology, so in the future I would like to combine the synthetic biology and the zoology and the immunology. So many for the immunology because I think immunology is more close, uh, how to say, it's much closer to the human health and I would like to Do something related to the human health, like you can engineer immune cells for the treatment, or you can engineer bacteria as well that can interact with your immune system for to help you to treat some diseases.
1: Wow, Mm. that's that's really promising. You do have a blueprint for your future. (laughs) That's cool.
3: Still a lot of lot of things to learn.
1: (laughs) Yes, Mm. your whole life is about learning, isn't it? Mm. Okay, the next one. Is there anything surprised you during your PhD?
3: Mm, yes, there are a lot of things surprised me <laughs> during my PhD. For example? So, as I mentioned before, doing the PhD is not just studying, doing experiment in the lab. But actually, so Many people thought that it would be really boring because you just stay there and uh, learn and learn for a very long time. It's very boring, but actually, there are a lot of things to do, like a conference a workshop, different training opportunities you can do. So that's one thing that surprised me. And then another thing that uh, I was doing biosensor, so when I was doing my PhD it was first time for me to touch the biosensors field, so I was thinking, oh biosensor, I just make it a uh, engineer the bacteria or other kind of cells that can make it to sense something, that's biosensors. But actually it's not, and I found it out when I went to a conference in Sweden. So the title of the conference is biosensors. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are so many kind of different biosensors, and most of them, I would say more than 90% of them, were not using the whole cells. Mm-hmm. And they were just they were using some part of biology, uh, some some biological parts like maybe adaptors, so it's a piece of DNA. So they just connected to some electrodes, and it can give you some signal upon the sensing, or some specific uh, stones that can change the color when you put uh, the sensing target in it. So it's really broad my my knowledge there, and uh, I never think about you can do biosensor in that way. So that's also surprised me. Yes, and uh, also the third thing is, uh, so before I was doing my PhD, I never think I may start a relationship here, oh. <laughs> and actually I met my husband here, and oh, we really? got married. Oh wow, when? Um, what when was that? So I got my I got married when I was, uh, I don't remember second year or third year. So it was two thousand sixteen. <laughs> So, uh, was there any like events
1: that make you do not follow your designed project but diverge a little bit from your from your original thoughts?
3: No, this doesn't really work. Doesn't really always work. <laughs> and once it doesn't work, you need to try to think about it, why it does not work. So, like, so in this project, I was making cascaded amplifiers. And when you build the one layer amplifier, it's not difficult, and the second layer amplifier is still fine. But when when I tried the third layers of of, of amplifier, there it's it's really not really working. And uh, I have tried almost for for a year; it did not work. And then and then just think about why it didn't work. So so at that time at that time there was a paper published in Science, and uh, they were not about amplifier at all, but they were just. Uh, doing some layering genetic circuits study, and uh, and I found that uh, so they, they mentioned that if you want to do the layering, you need to make sure the the two layers are, can be matched together. So that uh, inspired us to try that method. So I just characterized all my amplifiers individually and they try to uh, select the ones can be matched together and then after trying that it worked. So sometimes it doesn't work, you, can, you cannot always follow the same path, but, uh, but uh, you can think about uh, some other ways, many from other studies, other people's experiments, and you can try their stuff and uh, it works mm-hmm. work in the end.
1: Yeah, mm. that's also happened to me now. Uh, okay, I think that's our interview. Thank you. Thank you very much,
0: mm-hmm. Yi. Thank you for listening to Biopod. If you want to learn more about uh, Dr. Wan's research, Please check out their website and read their latest publications. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BioPodEdinburgh and also check out our website. Thank you.